Last time I played a video clip of a music video is a little bit more recent than that one, so I thought I'd, I'd throw a golden oldie out there for, for some of you. Plus, it's a British band, so... <laughs> that was the Rolling Stones with I Can't Get No Satisfaction, and I think that they... Uh, Mick Jagger and the boys, they're really hit on an aspect of life that so many of us struggle with. How, how do we get our satisfaction? Where is, in, where is the thing that satisfies us? Am I satisfied? And this morning, we're going to dwell a little bit upon that. We're, we're coming back into the story. Uh, don't let the banners up there fool you. After the evacuation last week, everything was okay, in case you didn't hear. Um, there was just some smoke coming from a heating unit. But uh, we're not doing joy for every longing heart. We just didn't have time to take them down. We're back in the story. And for those of you who need a recap of what the story is, you maybe you weren't with us in the fall, the story is an abridged chronological Bible. It's the words of Scripture from the New International Version, taken, arranged in chronological order, and then abridged so that in 31 novel-length chapters, we can read the story of the Bible from the very beginning to the very end. And we're working through the story as a whole church this year, both on uh, Saturday night, Sunday mornings, in your life groups, in our student ministry, in our children's ministry, in our women's ministry, uh, men's breakfast. This Saturday, I'll be doing it as well. Everyone is doing the story. And so... I want you guys to make sure that you you remember where we were because we spent 12 weeks on this in the fall and we kind of left it for six weeks as we jumped into this Colossians 1 series. So let let me recap so we're all on the same page of the story so far. The story began with God creating the world. And within this world, he created humans as his special creation. But humans, human beings, turned their back on God They said, actually, God, we don't want to go your way. We want to go our way. But God had a rescue plan, a plan to bring humanity back into relationship with himself. And this plan involved a family, the family of a man named Abraham. And Abraham's family grew up and and became a nation, the nation of Israel. And this was God's chosen family, God's chosen nation, to show the world what God was like, to be his representatives, to show the world that he was the one true God and that he reigned and ruled over all things. But this nation of Israel found themselves in slavery in Egypt. And so God delivered them out of that slavery and brought them into a land that he gave them, the promised land. And when they came into this land, they started going around this cycle of turning away from God and God raising up a leader and them coming back to God and then turning away. And it went round and round and round. And eventually they said, God, we want a king to rule over us. We want to be like the other nations. And so God condescended and gave them a king to rule over them. And where we left it was with the second king reigning over the people of Israel, King David. Now, many people see King David as as having inaugurated kind of the golden age of the kingdom of Israel. Well, if David inaugurated it, then his son, Solomon, was the one who cemented it. And that is where we're picking up the story at this point. Solomon, David's son, is sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning over the kingdom of Israel. And the title of this week is The King Who Had It All. And Solomon was that king. He had everything that he desired. And yet, 
just like Mick Jagger 3,000 years later, he couldn't get no satisfaction. So we're going to dig into Solomon's story this morning. Before we do that, I would love to pray. Would you join me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story that you've been writing throughout history. Thank you for the role that you've given us as, as your church in that story. And God, this morning, I pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would be transforming us, and you would be making us more and more into the church that you are calling us to be. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Solomon had it all. Really early on in his life, God, God appeared to him, and, and he said to Solomon, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Literally, I'll give you whatever you want. And I don't know about you, but if God appeared to me and said, I'll give you whatever you want, I could probably list a handful of things that I would, that I would say and I would choose. But Solomon doesn't pick riches or glory or honor or, or fame. No, Solomon, this is what he says he wants, a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. Solomon asks for wisdom. And God gives him wisdom aplenty. Solomon became known as the wisest man in the whole of the world. People would travel for thousands of miles to come and hear his wisdom. He spoke over 3,000 proverbs, little pithy sayings, and many of them are collected in the, in the book of Proverbs in the Bible. And as well as speaking proverbs, he wrote songs. He wrote over a thousand songs. And we find some of them in the book of Psalms and some of them in, in the book entitled The Song of Songs or The Song of Solomon. Solomon was an incredibly wise man, the original wise man, you could say. But the wisdom wasn't the only thing that he had. His father David had spent a lot of time achieving military success and created a time of peace for the kingdom of Israel. And this enabled Solomon to really cement Israel's place at the center of the Middle East trade network. And as a result of that, the nation became more prosperous. As well as that, in this time of peace, Solomon was able to do something his father David was not allowed to do, to build the temple the temple for God, the, the house that God was going to dwell in. This was the ultimate honor, the ultimate act of service, to build a place for God to dwell. And not only did Solomon have uh, uh, wisdom and, and he was at the center of this trade and cemented the kingdom and built a temple, but God gave him riches, riches beyond anything else. In fact, in in Solomon's time, silver was so common, it was treated like stone. Solomon's palace didn't have anything made of silver in it because everything was made of gold. This is what the, the writer of the book of Kings says. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. And Solomon didn't just stop there. He was the kind of guy who, if he saw something that he wanted, he grabbed it. And at this time, polygamy was considered normal, and although God never sanctioned it, Solomon took polygamy to a whole nother level. This man took 700 wives for himself. And because that wasn't enough, he also took 300 concubines. Sadly, women was Solomon's eventual downfall. 
Solomon's credited with writing another book in the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes. And and in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we read Solomon's account of what his own life was like. Let me read this to you. Oh, I did great things. Built houses, planted vineyards, designed gardens and parks, planted a variety of fruit trees in them, made pools of water to irrigate the groves of trees. I bought slaves, male and female, who had children, giving me even more slaves. Then I acquired large herds and flocks, larger than any before me in Jerusalem. I piled up silver and gold, loot from kings and kingdoms. I gathered a chorus of singers to entertain me with song and most exquisite of all pleasures, voluptuous maidens for my bed. Oh, how I prospered. I left all my predecessors in Jerusalem far behind, left them behind in the dust. What's more, I kept a clear head through it all. Everything I wanted, I took. I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse, held back nothing. I sucked the marrow of pleasure out of every task, my reward to myself for a hard day's work. It's easy to read or to hear about Solomon's life. And, and, and to say to yourself, well, you know, that was him. He had all that stuff, but, but that's not me. You know, I'm just, I'm poor in comparison. A few weeks ago, I was reading a book as part of my seminary studies, and there was one sentence in it that just made me stop in my tracks. It said something like this, if, if, you, if you're sitting and reading this book in the Western world, you are richer than most of the kings and queens throughout history. I started to think about the reality is that in the world that we live in, here in Gig Harbor, our our wealth is not that different from Solomon's. I mean, think about it, right? He said he had slaves to do all sorts of things. Well, we have washers and dryers and dishwashers, right? He said he had entertainment to to entertain him. Well, Well, we have cable TV. He said that, he didn't say in that passage, but he had chariots with horses and and we have Jeep Grand Cherokees. You know, our life is not that different from Solomon. And many men in the congregation might turn around and say to me, yeah, well, but he had a thousand women and I don't have that. We all know that at a click of a few buttons, you have more than a thousand women on offer to you. And internet pornography is just as destructive as those thousand women were to Solomon. You know, the reality is that our life is not that different from Solomon. We live the lives of comfort, the lives of excess that he himself lived. And yet, for Solomon, it was never enough. He always wanted more more success, more fame, more women, more money, more, more, more. That's why he had a thousand women. I mean, do the math. What are you going to do with a thousand women? That's why he set up a tax system which provided him with all of the money that he could possibly want to do anything he wanted to. He wanted more because he believed that more was going to satisfy him. More was going to make him happy. He was chasing after that elusive satisfaction that the Rolling Stones sung about. And again, our lives are not that different 
from Solomon. We live in a culture, we live in a society that is constantly chasing more in the belief that more is going to satisfy, more is going to make us happy. That's why we work more hours to get more success or to get more money because we believe that's what's going to make us happy. That's why we buy or build bigger homes with more and more rooms because we believe that's what's going to make us and our family happy and satisfied. That's why for Christmas, we bought more and more gifts and tried to find that perfect gift for our kids or our grandkids because we honestly believe that that is what is going to satisfy them. That is what is going to make them happy. And some of you might be sitting there and say, yeah, but, but I don't really believe that. Actually, I can understand that getting more isn't going to satisfy me. And that may be true. But let me tell you, I believe this is so deeply ingrained within us. Let me give you an example of how I see it. Short-term missions trips. How many people have you heard come back from a short-term missions trip and say something like this? This was what I said when I came back from my first short-term missions trip. Say something like, I couldn't believe it. Okay, they were so poor. They had nothing. You know, they lived in mud huts. They wore the same clothes every day. They ate the same food. They were disease-ridden. But yet they were happy. They were so poor. They didn't have any stuff, but, but they were happy. Do you see the assumption in that statement? Deeply ingrained within us is this belief that we've been taught by our culture that if we have more, we will be happy. If we have more, we will be satisfied. But Solomon found out, and the Rolling Stones found out, that more doesn't satisfy. The very next verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon writes this. Then I took a good look at everything I'd done, looked at all the sweat and hard work, but when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke. Smoke and spitting into the wind. There was nothing to any of it, nothing. Solomon stands back and he surveys his kingdom, his riches, his palaces, his women, his wisdom. And he says it's all meaningless. It's all empty. It's nothing. It's like smoke. It's there a second and and gone the next. It's like spitting in the wind. It just comes back around to hit you in the face. Solomon recognized that more does not satisfy In fact, sociologists have even coined a term for this disease that we all seem to be suffering with. They call it affluenza. This is how they define it. A painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste resulting from the dogged pursuit of more. And nothing brings that to the surface quite like Christmas. How many of us walked through Christmas or came out of Christmas feeling overloaded or debt-ridden or anxious. For me, it isn't necessarily the the pursuit of of more things. For me, it's actually the, the pursuit of more success. Deep down, I have this false belief that I struggle with that more success is gonna make me happy. And so I I pursue it. I've been an overachiever my whole life and I continue to try to pursue success because I believe it'll make me happy. 
in the, the middle of last month, I started to feel totally overwhelmed, really anxious, and I was ill, had a migraine, and as I was going through all this, I, I started to say, what is, why am I feeling like this? What's going on? And I realized, you know, I don't feel like I'm being as successful as I think I should be. I don't feel like I'm, I'm achieving the success I want to achieve at church. I'm achieving the success I want to achieve in my schoolwork. I'm achieving the success I want to achieve in my parenting. And I started to recognize that because I'd set myself up with the belief that if I am successful, I'll be happy, I was feeling overloaded, overwhelmed, anxious, in, in debt to the tasks that I saw before me. I believe every one of us struggles with this, this affluenza in some way, this dogged pursuit of more. So the question is, what's to be done? What can we do about it? Well, thankfully, Solomon didn't finish Ecclesiastes where I finished reading. He kept going. And after another eight chapters or so of talking about how everything was meaningless and just like smoke, he reaches a conclusion. He brings his wisdom, his God-given wisdom, to bear on this subject. And in three consecutive verses, the, the English Standard Version chooses to translate the opening words with the same letter. It's like a preacher's dream. Those three words that those sentences begin with are three words that I'd love us to walk away with this morning. The, the antidote, the, the cure to our affluenza. Rejoice, remove and remember. Let me read you those verses and dig into them a little bit. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. A repeated theme throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon writing, just enjoy life. Enjoy life. It's a gift. Enjoy it. You know, the, the reality is God didn't have to create this world. This world is unnecessary to God. He is sufficient in and of himself. And within this world, he didn't have to create me, and he didn't have to create you. He chose to create this world and to create me and to create you. Your life is a gift from God. And your life is not the only gift that God has given you. Last month, Pastor Larry led Pastor Mark and Pastor Bill and, and me in a short exercise based upon a devotional that, that Pastor Megan was reading. I know that's a lot of pastors, but that's my life. And he, he got us to write down the numbers 1 to 10 on a page. And he said, I want you to write down 10 ways that God has provided for you, 10 specific ways God has provided for you in the last week. And as I sat there, and I worked hard at times to, to try to list them out and be specific, my anxiety that I was living in, the, the overwhelming nature of the, the burden I felt like I was carrying began to lift. My anxiety turned into thankfulness as I, I realized I had so much to be thankful for. And then that thankfulness turned into joy, rejoicing, rejoicing in the gift of life and the, the gifts that I've been given. Rejoice. That's the first word, the first key. Remove. That's the second. Very next verse, Solomon writes, Remove vexation from your heart and put away evil from your body. Solomon says, remove anxiety and remove sin. 
remove anxiety, if, if there's things in your life that are occupying your heart and your mind that are, that are causing you to feel anxious, don't dwell upon them. Don't chew upon them. Don't churn upon them. Remove them from your life. And remove sin. Kill sin before it kills you. How I wish Solomon had taken his own advice there. In the middle of this, this sense of anxiety last month, I, I went to Pastor Mark and I said to him, hey, you always say your spiritual gift is anxiety. So help me out here. He directed me to a book written by a British preacher. All the, all the best writers and singers and everything are British. Um, called Dr. M- uh, his name was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And in this book... Lloyd-Jones talks about taking ourselves in hand. This is, this is what he writes. He says, We must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. And what he's saying here is, when, when you're feeling this anxiety or um, overwhelmingness or depression, what's actually going on is you're letting our, yourself talk to you. You're, you're just listening to the lies that yourself is saying. You're not good enough. You can't do this. This, this isn't going to work out. Why did you do that? What's, what's going to happen here? Do you really think that's going to work out? And what he says is we need to take ourselves in hand. And we need to begin talking to ourselves. Talking the truth to ourselves. Reciting scripture to ourselves. That's why it's important to know what's in this book. So we can distinguish between truth and falsehood. And as we preach to ourselves, as we talk to ourselves... We actively take hold of that anxiety and remove it from our lives. Rejoice, remove, and lastly, remember. The next verse starts in the next chapter. Solomon writes, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Remember, that is, call to mind your creator, your savior, your redeemer, your, your coming king, Jesus. Because the truth is, nothing in this world is going to satisfy you. Jesus is the only one who will. And if you don't call him to mind, if you don't dwell upon who he is, and upon what he has done, and upon who that makes us as his church, if you don't call that to mind, you're going to live in the lies. You need to dwell in the truth. Call to mind who our God and our Savior is. I recognized last month that after we'd finished the story at the end of November, it had been a couple of weeks, and, and I'd, I'd slipped out of the habit of reading the Bible every morning. I recognized that as I was waking up, the first thing that was coming into my mind every day was my fears and my worries and anxieties. And so I said, Enough's enough. I can't start my day like that. I have to start my day with truth. So I pulled out my phone. I got out the Bible app. I picked a reading plan. And I said to my wife, Rachel, hold me accountable to this. Make sure I'm doing this every morning. And I got back into the habit of just reading the truth every morning to combat the lies and the falsehood that was occupying my mind and my heart. Rejoice. Remove and remember. My prayer for us in 2016 is that we would not doggedly pursue more. 
that we would recognize the lie that our culture sells us. And that instead we would rejoice in the gift of life that we have. That we would remove sin. We would remove anxiety from our lives. And that we would remember that Jesus alone satisfies. Nothing in this world will satisfy us. Jesus alone does. And one way that you can begin to do that this week is pick up the story and read chapter 13, all about Solomon. And another way that we're going to do that collectively together right now is to renew, renew our baptismal vows. And in so doing, we remember the God who called us before we knew him, the God who's been faithful to us since the day of our baptism. We remember that that he removed our sin. He removed our fears. We're no longer a slave to fear. We are children of God. And we are going to rejoice. Rejoice in the new life that he has won for us. So this morning, as we renew our baptismal vows, we will rejoice, remove, and remember.